Sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome to the Just Not Sports podcast, where today we are breaking our one rule and talking sports. I'm your host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And with me is seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes, in our Brooklyn Bureau. Gareth, how are you? Doing good, man. Um, This must be some story if you're willing to break format. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... You spend a lot of time making sports documentaries. I, I have done my share, yes. And you also spend an inordinate amount of time complaining about them to me. Yeah. Um, if we had recorded our phone calls, there would be a lot of extra episodes about that. We could set up a Patreon platform. <laughs> Look, we're not going to name names. We're not going to throw shade. But why don't you run down what your issues are with the current sports doc boom? I just My beef at this point is that sports docs are too long and multi-part series exploring things we already know, things we already lived through. I mean, like, is Tom Brady going to say something new in nine parts next year? All right. Well, Gareth, I'm going to tell you a story today, and I have some promises. Number one, it's a story that I guarantee you have never heard. Okay. It's a story about one of the greatest upsets in the history of college sports. Okay. I'm intrigued. And you are not going to need an entire new quarantine to get through it, I swear. Come on, clipboard, Brad. Let's go. <laughs> well, I want to say, like, here's what I would say. Like, how did you hear about this story? I actually know someone who was involved. Okay, who are we talking about? Five, My wife. Six, seven, eight, nine, nine, nine. This is Kelly Cantwell. We've been married for 10 years. And I was 23, and I didn't know any better. <laughs> Admittedly, I do not listen to every episode of our podcast, but she's never been on the show, right? Dude, she's never even listened to this podcast before, I guarantee it. So since I've met my wife, I've always known she was a swimmer in college. Kelly swam at Denison University, a Division three school. They're known as the Big Ours Red. Is Big Red. Red. Big Red. And her junior year, her team was part of this truly amazing story, like an all-time upset. So I figured, let's have her come on the pod and I'll talk to her about it. And dude, I failed miserably. If you like did a certain Do you level, want me to just jump in or should I just let you're drowning here, man? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, not your best interview. Look, there's a lot about swimming I don't know overall. And there's a lot about this story overall that I just simply cannot find. YouTube is not exactly a repository for D3 swimming footage from 20 years ago. It sucks because my wife has this awesome sports story that's totally overlooked at this point. So I did what I do, Gareth. I started looking into it. Uh, This is full clipboard Brad, isn't it? 100%. Look, my goal was to find the people involved and let them tell their story on their terms the way they experienced it. I called swimmers and coaches. I called teammates, rivals. I called college ADs and college SIDs. Lots of letters there. And look, if you don't know anything about swimming, I got three Olympic champions, famous swimming media, and literally the best Division three swimmer of all time to help explain the nuances of the sport. <laughs> all right, I'm down. And Gareth, what I found is a story that is just way cooler than the one I'd heard bits and pieces of over the years from Kelly. This is a story of one of the greatest college dynasties ever, and the team determined to take them down. It's the story of a national title won by the closest shave, and also won by a literal close shave that did not happen. It's the story of awkward pep talks and late-night prayers and cough drops and the smelliest socks in the history of sports. And look, more than anything, it's just an up-close look at the culture of swimming and the life of Division Three athletes And like any good swimming story, Gareth, it starts in the water. What, in the pool? Uh, more like the shower. So it's the fall of 1999, Kelly's sophomore year. It's after practice, and the Denison women swimmers are cleaning up. And none of them know Kelly's about to quit. I wasn't even sure I really wanted to swim anymore. I was kind of like mostly out on like hardcore swimming. She came in as a breaststroker, got injured, and she just wasn't going to make it swimming breaststroke anymore. Plus, by this point, college life, a normal college life where you're not swimming every day, was starting to look pretty appealing. 
So she's about to close the book on her career when one of the best swimmers on the team straight up called her out right there in the shower. It was really organic. It was like after practice, I thought that swimming had a lot to offer Kelly and Kelly had a lot to offer the team. That's Amy DeVito Cavedo. She's a year older than Kelly. And dude, she is hard court. 20 years later, I get the feeling she would dive in and race anyone, anywhere, anytime. And I just was like, Kelly, I I think you can be a part of the national team. I think you're, you know, you're not giving yourself enough credit. And I think if you put your heart and soul into it, you could do this. And look, Kelly was freaked out. She was like seemingly intimidating because she was an awesome swimmer and like one of the hardest workers um, I've ever met. So I was scared, like completely shitless of her. All right, Amy told Kelly she wanted to see her on the 800 freestyle relay, the longest relay race. But it was also a new stroke, a new distance for Kelly. And so Kelly was like, uh, I don't really even know I'm going to keep swimming. Like, I'm just, I might not even show up tomorrow. But Amy, she is relentless. She'd eventually wind up in the Denison Sports Hall of Fame. And when she gets in your face, you listen, even in the shower. I just kind of let Kelly know that like she could do whatever she put her mind to. Like I felt like she had a good feel for the water and if she wanted it, it was hers for the taking. And so Kelly didn't quit. That made me think a little bit. And that year we I qualified and I was on the relay team. One small thing, seemingly kind of like nonchalant comment that you don't even know is gonna make a difference, like made all the difference in the world. Denison University is in Granville, Ohio. Gareth, you and I are from Ohio. Can you tell me where Granville is? Uh, I'll I'll come clean. Granville is an Ohio blind spot for me. <laughs> Granville is a village of about 6,000. It's over by Columbus, middle of the state. And the centerpiece of the community is Denison, a school of about 2,300 students. Now, Kelly grew up near Chicago, so I am positive she could not identify Granville on a map when she first stepped on campus in the fall of 1998. So I actually was looking at some bigger schools. You know, Denison just had this kind of vibe about it. Plus, the swimming, it was fast. You know, there's a lot of people who are looking for like a smaller type college experience, but want high quality, fast swimming. This story is going to focus on the 2001 team, and you will meet a bunch of them. But let's start with the seniors, the ones who will graduate after the 01 season. You already met Amy. You know, like Kelly, she wanted fast swimming, but there was something else pulling her to campus, too. My, kind of my boyfriend. I mainly looked at Division One schools, but he was looking at Division Three schools. And so he's like, hey, take a look at Denison. And I visited there, and it felt like home. Then there was Katie Sprague, another senior. She wasn't just choosing between schools, she was actually choosing between sports, too. And I actually was a better lacrosse player than I was a swimmer. And I was choosing between, do I want to go to Denison to swim, or do I want to go to Ohio State to play lacrosse? What got her attention were these letters she got from current and former Denison swimmers. They were like, if you go D1, you're just another cog in the machine. But if you come here, you could help us win a national championship something no Denison team had ever done before. You read a couple letters about how they wanted to win a national championship. And my dad said to me, you could go there and you could help them do that. And that's literally the reason why I chose to go to Denison. So if you're going to believe that this is an all-time college upset, there are three things I definitely need to convince you of. All right, hit me. One, the dedication of D3 athletes. Two, how much the D3 national title actually means to them. And three, look, the reason it's a great upset is because this story has one of the greatest dynasties in the history of NCAA sports. All right, where do you want to start? Let's start with the athletes. And to do that, I got to make a call. Hey, Brad. This is Mel Stewart. He won two golds at the 92 Barcelona Games. And he's also the co-founder of Swim Swam. It's like... Half ESPN, half Encyclopedia Britannica. If you want to learn something about swimming, eventually you wind up at Swim Swim. And D3 is about the best experience in college swimming. Like D3 is fanatic. It, our D3 traffic at times rivals D1 and surpasses it. And the reason why is because it's so essential just as a 
passion niche in our sport. So we take it very, very seriously. I mean, the best D1 athletes are faster, but the best D3 athletes, I mean, they work just as hard. I don't think there's a difference between D3 and, and D1 at, at the highest level. They suffer in the, exactly the same way, and they're doing the same work. They're doing the same time, the same distance, the same intensity. It is the same level of passion. It's the same hurt. Okay, let me walk you through the typical day of your D3 swimmer. Up at 5, maybe 5.15. From the minute the alarm went off, obviously like a lot of groaning. Hike to the pool. Some start swimming laps right away. In the water at 6. Others do what swimmers call dry land. That's weights, stretching, aerobics or you're in the weight room, or you're doing medicine balls. Eat breakfast, go to class. If you were most people, you would go to class. <laughs> I would go back and take a nap. Then back to the pool, more practice, everyone in the water this time. If you were to lay practice, that was like 7 o'clock. Then dinner, homework, lights out around 10, maybe 11. My goal was always to try to get to lights out by 11. 5-something to 11-something every single day. Dude, this is very different from my college experience. <laughs> I know. All right, here's Erin Stanley Blum. She's a year younger than Kelly, a sophomore on the 01 team. I always joke it was uh, practice, class, practice, study, sleep, repeat. Like that was kind of <laughs> what, it, what it was. And like all other Denison athletes, she was not on scholarship. None of them were. Maybe that's part of the difference between, you know, the... D3 athletics where there's no scholarships. And so we're just doing these sports because we love them. All right, man, look, I'm not here to fetishize unpaid <laughs> college athletes, okay? I mean, we've talked about this a lot. If you're playing quarterback at Alabama and can get a Nike deal, more power to you. Yeah, exactly. And if, and if a D1 athlete wants or needs a scholarship, go take it by all means. All I'm saying is when I was in school... I skipped class to watch Jerry Springer every few days. And these D3 athletes, they were in the pool. And if they skipped, you better believe they got called out quick. If you overslept your alarm or you were not down at practice, people would call you and start ringing your phone to be like, get your ass down here. So there it is. You grind, you sacrifice. And when you sweat, you just smell like chlorine. And a lot of them, they loved it. I was contributing to something bigger than myself as far as being a part of a team. Um, and that fueled me. Okay, the second thing I need to convince you is how much a D3 national title actually means to these athletes. Swim Swim covers D3 extensively, so here's Mel Stewart again. At the collegiate level, dual meets that are that iconic and, you know, rivalries, it feels more intense, like that electricity that's in the air. It's more intense at the collegiate level than at the Olympics. The Olympics is almost antiseptic. It's, it's a little bit tight. And college swimming, is, is, it feels like, okay, everybody's heart's on their sleeve, and let's go to war. It is a unique niche in our sport. And then, and then every so often, we have an Andrew Wilson who pops out. Andrew Wilson. He's the best D3 swimmer of all time. He medaled at the 2019 World Championships. And look, like most elite swimmers these days, when I got him on the phone, he's just looking for an open pool during the pandemic, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was training in a, like a backyard pool for like six weeks. So. <laughs> Andrew swam at Emory University, which over the past decade has really become a D3 national power. As a junior in 2015, he was named D3's National Swimmer of the Year. And in 2016, he left school to try to make the Olympic team. It was a D3 swimmer going for the Olympics, and he just barely missed the cut. It kind of became a national story. I didn't really know what I was going to do. Like, I didn't know, like, whether I was going to try and finish my degree early and then just train or, or, or like, really what was going to happen. So he had a choice. Go full-time, train with the pros, or go back to Emory. The prospect of us winning a team title was, like, a big draw for me to come back and have, like, the full year my senior year to go for it with, like, the Emory team. He literally had nothing to gain except a D3 national title. And it paid off. In 2017, he led Emory to its first ever men's national championship. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, that that week, that last night um, was honestly like one of my favorite moments um, in my whole swimming career. Um, you know, and like that, 
that includes stuff like winning medals at like a world. Like it's just like it was it was that important to me. <laughs> Dude, that guy is awesome. It's probably the best illustration of what a D3 title means to these athletes. I mean, that's why the Denison swimmers wrote Katie Sprague those letters. They really, really wanted that first championship. But there was a huge problem. Uh, what's that? Standing in front of them was only, you know, the greatest dynasty in the history of NCAA sports. Kenyon College. I'm ahead of the game. Uh, Knox County College is changing the game. Kenyon College, a Division Three school from Gambier, Ohio. No school has won national championships with the success rate of Kenyon College. Kenyon wasn't just good, man. They were literally unbeatable. Going into the 01 season, Kenyon's women's swim team had won 17 straight national titles. Hold on, hold on, hold on. 17? 17 straight. If you take Michael Jordan's Bulls titles, the Chicago Bulls have won their sixth, and added Derek Jeter's Yankees titles, the Yankees are back on top, and then added Nick Saban's Alabama titles, you'd still be one short of the 17 in a row Kenyon had won. The streak is old enough to drive. The Kenyon men were just as dominant. They'd eventually win 31 in a row. Both streaks, men's and women's, are still NCAA records for all levels, not just D3. Kenyon swimmers, they were like college sports royalty. And dude, they even looked the part. They were draped in a, a regal purple. Their team name was the Kenyon Lords and Ladies. Wait. Wait, their mascot is the lords and ladies? Yeah, like the, like the men are the Kenyan lords and the women's team are the Kenyan ladies. And dude, they lorded over all aspects of D3 swimming. Here's Katie Sprague. I think that Kenyan was this untouchable entity. You know, when I would get up on the block and there would be a swimmer next to me, if that swimmer was wearing purple, you know, a Kenyan swimmer, it probably made me a little more nervous. Still to this day, she hates the color purple. I, I bought a purple bracelet the other day and my kids were like, you bought a purple one, you traitor, you Kenyan. I mean, they know. Okay, wait, that's insane. How are they doing this? So to find out, I called up their current coach. His name is Jess Book. He's won a handful of national titles coaching on top of the four he won swimming at Kenyon during the same time that Kelly was there. He's actually a year ahead of her. He was a senior in 2001. I love that he's like our age. That's like when we graduated, Brad. What have we done with our life? <laughs> exactly. Kenyon has like this record setting streak, and I'm sure they love that you call the talk about the one time they lose. Yeah, dude, that's what I thought. But honestly, he's like a super nice guy. He he asked about my wife. And I recognize the name. He asked about my kids. Yeah, we have a little bit of that, too. What are your girls' names? And when I gave him the chance to just, like, straight up brag about his school's legacy of kicking everyone's butt for generations, he totally spun it back to, like, their culture of team building. Some of that history and tradition is currently on the deck and on the team, and, and a lot of it is hanging in the rafters. But the idea is you are you are part of something that is great and grand and wonderful. And the idea is that the greatness that we achieve is really, it's, a, it's, a, it's on team, it's not on individual. Coach Book swam and coached under the man who won just about more than anyone in the history of college sports, Jim Steen. He won 50 team titles as Kenyan coach and coached more than 300 All-Americans. He was profiled by the New York Times and, and praised by ESPN. It's an incredible Jim Steen. The coach is the winningest coach in all divisions, at all colleges. I don't know how they do it. So I asked Jim Steen to, to talk for this, and, and he was super cool about it. He had a pressing family situation he said he wanted to focus on. And Coach Book said that is entirely on brand for Coach Steen. Hyper-focused. Hyper-focused. I, I, I don't think you can underscore that one strongly enough. His ability to devote time and energy and focus beyond incredible. I think he is arguably the most successful coach the NCAA has ever seen. He stands in a place that true geniuses stand. So for Denison, Kenny was a problem in two ways. The schools were just a 30-minute drive apart, which means they're in the same conference. That means Denison not only had never won a national championship because they couldn't get over Kenyon, dude, they had never even won their own conference championship. Everything Denison wanted got consumed by this purple wave from just up the road. 
And all the Denison swimmers really respected Kenyon. Kelly, she's a Bears fan, and she compared Kenyon to, I mean, who else, dude? The Packers. Grew up in Chicago almost my whole life. I don't necessarily say I hate the Packers because I appreciate quality sports and talent and Kenyon was a great competitor they came to compete if you weren't on your game they would nail you so Kenyon was the hammer Dennison was the nail but coach book thinks the rivalry was real and the athletes fed off of it it's fun I mean rivalries are fun it's fun to it's fun to think about someone that can really bring out the best in you and I don't know how to describe it in sociological terms but again I think there's something fundamentally human about us versus them. And in the middle of these two schools, in the middle of this rivalry, was Greg Perini. He was literally one of the best swimmers Kenyon ever produced. He was also the Denison coach, the coach who would end his alma mater's streak. Coach Greg, as my wife forever calls him, is something of a renaissance man. He's deliberate in his speech, he's analytical in his thinking, and when I call him up, his phone plays what else? Classical music. Morning. How are you? And he's already out just doing something interesting. We just dropped off two of feral cats at a spade neuter clinic. So living the sexy life right now. The Kenyan streak starts with Coach Greg. He was a member of Jim Steen's first three title teams, and he graduated in 1982 with All America honors in 18 different events. He's in the Kenyan Sports Hall of Fame. He's a Kenyan legend. In 1987, he got hired by Denison. And he set out to end the swimming dynasty he helped create. Jim Steen, who was the coach at Kenyon, was, uh, uh, was my coach and my mentor in a lot of ways. At times, look, that got tense. It was, it was awkward. It was, it was strained. It was tough. You know, they, they were always treated us with respect. But I, I think that the relationship was strained in a lot of ways. I mean, we had, we had a lot of really tense moments over the years between the two teams as well as the, as the coaching staff. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they basically were protecting the things that we wanted, and uh, we were committed to getting, getting to that level. Coach Greg took over a Denison program that he called complacent. They finished 45th at Nationals just a few years before he got there. This was going to be a process. What's the Sixers' motto? Trust the process? <laughs> Look, he adopted a slightly different slogan. Sempre Avanti. Always moving forward. Always in pursuit of your goals. If I have any great quality, it's probably that I'm just either really stupid or I'm really stubborn. I just won't, I won't give up. Let me introduce you to another teammate of Kelly's, another junior, Molly Parrish Zook. We agreed to talk at 8 a.m., and when I called her, like, right <laughs> at the second of 8, she just could not help but tease her old coach. Hey, Brad. Are you sure you didn't swim for Greg? Because that was, like, super on time. <laughs> That's the thing about Coach Greg. He had this attention to detail. The dude was meticulous. There was a reason for every single thing he did, and he didn't just, like, practice. He was practicing exactly how he wanted to do it when he was in a game. Kelly said there's no way to get around it. Greg straight up cared for his athletes. He really is an athlete's coach. He really kind of like had the ability overall to step back and see like the bigger picture of things. But he also knew what drove them. And he sometimes used that. He definitely had a real talent to find out what motivates you, but like also like could really get under your skin. So, you know, him and I went head to head many a time. Here's Amy, the senior, who I think summed him up best. I have an Italian dad, and so Greg didn't scare me. I felt like he would get the best out of me. Gradually, Coach Greg, he built a winner. Kenyon was still the dynasty, but Denison was their chief contender. In March 1998, the Big Red finished second at Nationals, and they got second again in 99, second again in 2000. That's three straight times with Kenyon 1, Denison 2. Something told Coach Greg this team, this 01 squad, it just maybe had what it took. Because just like their coach, maybe they were just too stubborn to lose. It took us an awful long time to get where we are. It took us, you know, it took us decades to get where we were. And that 2001 team was critical on that and, and, and adopting, a, um, you know, we're not going to take no for an answer. and We're just going to keep going forward. 
So, Gareth, I probably need to explain to you how a college swimming season works. Okay, so I'm picturing, like, the college basketball season. That's what I know. There's a regular season where they all play against each other, and then there's a tournament field of 64, whittled down to two, and then a champion. You are close. Um, The season starts in the fall and finishes in March. So just to clarify, I'm calling this the 2001 season, but it actually starts in the fall of 2000, like 2000, 2001. Mm -hmm. Each team swims a series of what they call dual meets during the season. That's you versus another school. Then there's the invitationals with a bunch of schools swimming all at once. And at the end of the season, there's a conference meet. Then the NCAA championship. They call it nationals. Okay. This tracks... All right, well, hang on, because we have not even gotten in to tapering yet. Oh, right. Tapering. Walk me through that again. Tapering is the key to swim training. You grind really, really hard. Then when you need to peak for a big race, you pull back on your training. Some swimmers plan their tapering to peak at conference. Others plan their training to peak at nationals. But every swimmer on the team is working out their hardest at the start of the season. The season was more intense when we first got to school. So that's Erin, the sophomore. She says they had a saying for the start of the season. The joke was that if you made it through October, you could make it through anything. By Halloween, Amy, the senior, she could barely move. I mean, by the end of October, like, I, my arms would barely come out of the water. I remember my freshman year, Greg had the seniors talk to me about how to get better. (laughs) Here's Alyssa hiding her archel. She's a junior like Kelly. She said the early season was taxing mentally, especially on days where the pool heater didn't function properly. I mean, we did some brutal workouts. It was it was mentally difficult. I mean, there were so many times I would wake up in the morning and be like, I don't want to go to workout today. (laughs) I remember coming back without the heater being on in the pool and it was like, you know, you're going to get in and do your workout and it's cold, (laughs) but you're going to do it. And it was harder that year because the team upped the intensity. This is Kate Flickamaholland, another junior. To this day, Kelly always calls her Flick. That was a huge shift in our training. You can look at pictures from our sophomore year to our junior year, and it was so huge in our you know, competitive edge because we were so much more fit and so much stronger. At the end of the day, swimming is an individual sport. You, in your lane, doing your thing. But Kate says they were starting to gel more as a team that year. That year, really, we focused a lot on the team aspect, you know, so it wasn't just like a whole bunch of individuals swimming our times and hoping that we did well. And we really focused on the team as a unit and as a family. All the practices, all the workouts, all the team meals together, all the travel together, it made this team super close, but it also got them something of a reputation on campus. Here's Aaron Stanley Blum. I believe other people on the uh, campus joke that we were a cult um, because we, but when you keep those hours and you're training that intensely, like other people don't really understand quite as much. So it's just, you know, birds of a feather flock together. So Molly Parrish Zook also said the team had no choice but to embrace the cult status. You're spending so much time with these people that, um, you know, you get to know them really well, both the 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 good, the bad, the ugly. Yes, like a cult, um, which was actually one of our T-shirts one year. Alyssa was one of my wife's closest friends. A lot of times she says they were less teammates and more like this old married couple that spent all their time together. There isn't really too much separation. I mean, you have lunch together, you have breakfast together, you have dinner together, you go to meets together, you're together at night, you live together. I mean, certainly... Uh, K-Dog and I spent so much time together, like... You call my wife K-Dog? <laughs> <laughs> we used to, yeah. That's great. And by all accounts, Kelly, my wife, she was a goofball. She would make gross jokes in a game of Would You Rather, or she would randomly wear a wig down to practice one day. But Alyssa remembers this one thing that was not a fun hang, this superstition Kelly had. Gareth, she didn't wash her workout clothes. <laughs> Kelly is a bit superstitious, I guess. So in order to win, she had to have her workout clothes be dirty, like the same workout clothes. It was pretty grim. (laughs) I asked Kelly about this. She can neither confirm nor deny certain details. Here's what she claims. Yes, she had some workout clothes. She did not wash the entire season. But she says it was only her socks. Well, there was a lot of weird things (laughs) that I did. But yeah, definitely the socks. 
Based on my college experience, I shall not cast judgment. She said it was not superstition. It was just, you know, standard college kid laziness. I just never, like, didn't feel like going through the effort of bringing them up from the locker room to, like, my personal laundry. So then I just made it like, oh, I'm just not washing my socks because, like... Because, you know, it's good luck. And it was like, no, there's, I was just nasty. <laughs> so, Gareth, we need to talk about Kenyon's return to school in the fall of 2000. And look, this part of the story got me thinking about when I started doing triathlons a couple years back. I remember when you started swimming. I remember being annoyed at having to tape around your workout schedule. <laughs> I am uh, I am brutally slow. I, I, I hop in the pool. I try to just swim a mile straight without stopping, and it takes me like 45 minutes. Uh, I'm no expert, but don't the Olympians do a mile in under 20? That's kind of where I'm going with this, because I'm in the pool for a long time. And when you're in the pool that long, swimming laps back and forth, there's just no escape. There's no headphones. There's no podcasts. It's you and whatever is in your head that day. So I wanted to talk to an elite swimmer about this part of swim training. I called up Natalie Coughlin Hall. She is a swimming icon, 12-time Olympic medalist, three-time gold medalist. She was the best college swimmer at Cal during this time, and she also got her degree in psychology. So she's really perfect to talk about the mental side of swimming training. Swimming specifically forces you to be really introspective just by the nature of the sport. Your head's underwater for um, you know, two, three, four hours a day. And so you cannot be social during that time. It's you focusing on your training and like focusing on whatever thoughts come into your head um, and, and confronting and dealing with those. On good days, swimming can be meditative, peaceful, intense, but on bad days, it's isolating. I think about what she said when I think about the Kenyan swimmers of this era specifically, because it's honestly impossible not to. Midway through the previous season that we're talking about, in January of 2000, the Kenyan team was on the way home from a meet when one of their vans lost control and crashed. Several athletes were injured, and a senior co-captain, Molly Hatcher, tragically passed away. There's a version of this podcast that could exist where we trot out Kenyan swimmer after Kenyan swimmer and just make them relive this era and that moment in interviews. And we don't need to do that. Gareth and I grew up in Ohio. We lost friends and classmates on those country roads. We know it's a traumatic experience and not something people like talking about over and over again. I, I did speak to one Kenyan swimmer for this story. Her name is Abby Bretthauer. She was an All-American at Kenyon from 98 to 2002. She's now associate head coach at Tufts University. And she told me that accident changed everything about this entire era for the Kenyan swimmers. It was really horrible. It was really hard. It was really challenging. Um, it's something that we don't really, I don't really like to talk about. After the accident, Kenyon did what they always did. They got back in the water. In some ways, you swim because you don't know what else to do, because that's the thing that makes you you and makes your teeth like that's the thing that you can do um, is is find comfort in the water and find comfort in your teammates. Truly remarkably, just a few months later, they won another national championship in the 2000 season. You really saw like the the strength of Kenyan swimming and then also the strength of swimming in general. Um, yeah, it was, I don't know, it was really, really difficult, really, really challenging and is that experience and the role that my coaches played in my life through that and the role that swimming played in my life through that is why I do what I do today. But more than that title, I think about the path to get there. All those laps, head underwater, alone with your thoughts. Just an entire team of young people processing a tragedy. Look, I told you that Kenyon was an all-time great college dynasty. But that team, that 2000 team, that, that 17th straight women's national title team, to me, that's the toughest team in the history of college sports. They were still mourning when they came back to campus to start the 01 season. It was going to be hard to refocus, but Jim Steen did what he did at the start of every year. He tried to wipe the slate clean. Here's Abby again. Jim would always say, like, we're not trying to win title number 15 or 16 or 17. We're trying to win title number one with this team because every team was different, and he was really good at stressing that. 
Steen was great at remotivating his team. He was less good at keeping his voice. During meets, he would holler until he got hoarse, so he kept cough drops handy all the time. And it led to this quirky tradition where if you swam well, you got a Ricola. Oh yeah, the Ricolas. So I don't know exactly how it started, but um, like being on deck and being on meets, uh, coach was always really hoarse. And so he always had cough drops. And then he started like giving them all out to people who had good swims as like a, like our little way of saying like, oh, you had a good swim. Like here's a, here's a cough drop. By mid-season, it was clear the title would come down yet again to Kenyon and Dennison. And Abby said the Big Red had earned their attention. We would rarely say their name. Like, it was kind of like Voldemort. Like, <laughs> we didn't talk about them uh, by name. But Kenyon kept pummeling she who should not be named. In the regular season, they won a head-to-head meet, and they won another relay meet. The Denison motto was Sempre Avanti, always forward. But dude, they were just stuck in neutral. For Kate Flickema Holland, the entire thing was just deflating. I, I mean, it was just kind of like, oh, well, runners up yet again. Woo-hoo. And uh, we were frustrated. Denison would have two more chances that year. The conference meet in February, then nationals in March. But medicine balls alone were not going to get it done. What the Denison women needed was an entirely new mindset. There is no way to talk about swimming without talking to Rowdy Gaines. Hello, this is Rowdy. Hey, hey, Brad, how's it going, man? He is the voice of swimming at this point. Totally. Here he is calling one of Michael Phelps' biggest wins at the Olympics. I cannot wait to hear him. I've missed him this summer without the Olympics. He was also an Olympic gold medalist and a star swimmer in college. And I asked him a simple question. Was there ever a swimmer that you feared? Though I haven't said it many times because I'm afraid to admit it. I only had one swimmer in my life that I was afraid of. Honestly, it wasn't in the Olympics. It was when Rowdy swam at Auburn. His name was David Larson, swam for the University of Florida, same age as me, same class. And I only feared him in college. For some reason, I was deathly afraid of him. And sometimes he'd win. Sometimes I'd win. We'd trade back and forth. But the point is, is that rivalry was what made it so intense. There are so many great rivalries in the SEC. And there are so many great rivalries when you're talking about just the sport itself. Over the years, Rowdy's seen a ton of swimmers have the talent to beat the best. But they just couldn't get over that mental hurdle. It's virtually impossible. I shouldn't say impossible. It's virtually improbable that happens. And Kenyon is a perfect example of that number 17 and 31. They do not want to, nobody wants to be a part of that first loss. Dennison and Kenyon both had solid athletes, both had great coaching, but Kenyon just had that mystique, man. Here's Aaron Stanley Blum, the sophomore again. You know, part of it felt like almost like a sibling rivalry and that because the people on the team were so similar. You know, it's you could have switched any one of us. Um, but at the same time, I feel like there was, you know, an arrogance that they had because of their perennial championships. Okay, so she says arrogance. I'm picturing, like, Gary Payton, the glove up in their face or something like that. But that's... How do you do that in swimming? I Well... To me, it's a little bit like some of the stuff we saw in The Last Dance. Oh, right. So she needed a break and ditched the team to go to Vegas with Carmen Electra? (laughs) Some of the other stuff we saw in The Last Dance. Remember how, like, sometimes the things that people did to Michael Jordan that fired him up were real, like the Pistons walking off the court or whatever? But other times, there were just these moments where he perceived disrespect to fire himself up. Right, like there was that story about how He made up the guy telling him he had a good game so he could hate him and destroy him the next game. (laughs) I mean, look, Kenyon could be cocky at times. Everyone agrees on that. Here's the senior, Amy, who kind of sums that up. Like one girl, like, staying in my face in the locker. (laughs) Like... Someone got in your face in the locker? What is this? I mean, it was, like, kind of meant to be playful, but it was like, that song, Girl, You Know You Better Watch Out. It was Lauren Hill. (laughs) She sang Lauren Hill in your face to you in the locker room. Um, before the 400 AM. <laughs> Girl, you know you better watch out. 
Some guys, some guys only about. Okay, I know we're rooting for Denison, but that's pretty awesome. I know, I I know. I feel bad saying that, but I would love to have these stones to just sit there in the locker room and say something like that to my opponent. And look, Kenyon's Abby Bretthauer admits there was some confidence that bordered on arrogance. But what do you expect, man? They'd won every title since the Reagan years. They are entitled to do this. I think in terms of like arrogance or cockiness, like I'm sure that that's how we came across to other people. I don't think it was something that we were doing purposely, but there is, you know, like when you walk into a meeting and one I mean, numerous times in a row, yeah, you have that swagger and you have that faith in your teammates and you know that they've got your back no matter what. And I think that that's really what we thought of it as is like, we're going in and we're here to do our job and we're here to, you know, we need business. Okay, that's fair. But there's got to be some of this stuff that the Denison swimmers took too personally. There was one thing Kenyon did that drove every team in Division Three absolutely nuts. Here's Aaron to explain. So every team that that wins ends up kind of jumping into the pool and they pull their coaches into the pool and celebrate in in the pool. Um, And then Kenyon would get in a circle and they um, would, yeah, they would count down their streak as they kind of splashed in, in the water. When they won, they chanted their streak. And every year, their chant and their streak got longer. Kenyon's greatness was just in your face and in your ears. And for Molly, the junior, it fueled her. This is this is the goal. Like, you know, we want to be the best. We want to be, you know, the ones to make history and, um, <laughs> you know, basically, like, wipe the smiles off everybody's faces. <laughs> Kenyon... Sempre Avanti. That was Greg's slogan, all right? The seniors in 01 needed something more personal, something that specifically captured their second-place mindset and how they were going to get over it. A coach can want somebody to swim fast. A coach can want a team to win. But if that team doesn't really, truly want it in their bones, they it won't happen. It won't happen. One day, an idea popped into the head of Katie Sprague, the senior. Just one word believe. You know, we kind of thought about this idea of just believing, believing that that we could set a goal or have have a dream and and then go after it. No more shrinking at that purple suit in the next lane over. The Denison women needed to convince themselves that they actually deserved to win. So believe became their unofficial slogan. There was absolutely no doubt in my mind that 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 we couldn't win. No doubt. I believed it 100%, and, and, I, and I would have fought to the death, you know, to, to have stood up for that. And I think it's, and it, you know, I think part of it was in that moment, I just believed in everybody's ability to work hard, to push themselves, to push each other, and then to believe in each other. The regular season, it's now over. Time for conference, where Denison had finished second to Kenyon for a decade straight. A lot of us, I think, came into the season with confidence. And then we began to think, you know, let's believe in this and go for it. We're the underdogs. So what? Being the underdog is is fun. Let's be scrappy. Let's be Denison. Let's be underdogs. Let's believe. Let's be Denison. So conference. Denison and Kenyon swim in the North Coast Athletic Conference. And the 2001 league meet did not go as planned at all. Because for a while, it looked like Denison was going to win. A year earlier, Kenyon had crushed Denison in this meet. This year, the margin was tight. Here's Coach Greg. We were doing extremely well. I don't remember if we were in the lead, but I knew we were in the hunt. It was a very, very close meet. Eventually, he huddled up some of his seniors and team leaders to make a crucial decision. To shave or not to shave. And I remember pulling him aside and just saying, you know, we've got a shot at winning this conference title. Because remember, we had never won a conference title before. And I'm like, boy, we are so close to that. And we sat down and we talked about it. Okay, I have to ask, like, in the era of 
banned bodysuits and swimming and insane technology, how much does the shaving thing actually matter? So all year long, swimmers grow out their body hair to add resistance in the water. So when you shave it off, you just fly. Here's Mel Stewart, the Olympic gold medalist we met earlier. But when you shave, you're slippery. You swim faster. You move faster. You don't die as much at the end of your races. And uh, shaving is is sort of like the it's it's sort of like you are a, a earthly being and you shave and suddenly you become a superhero. Kelly also told me there's a mental edge here, too. When you shave, you're mentally ready for your fastest time of the year. Kenyon sure as hell was not shaving at conference. They were saving their fastest times for March. If Denison shaved now, they might steal conference, but they almost certainly were giving up the NCAA crown. You know, hang that first banner, just not the one that you want. So they huddled up, they talked about it, and they decided, let's let it ride, man. Let's go for nationals. But we also made the decision that, no, there was something bigger and better going on, which was being even more competitive at nationals. And they lost that conference meet again. But that first practice after conference was over, Katie Sprague said she noticed something totally different. I remember getting back from that meet and we were in, I was in a workout with Alyssa doing a breaststroke set together. Um, and I'm on the wall, like in front of her, about ready to push off. And she says, Katie, we're going to do this. We're, we're going to beat them. And I, and I remember looking back at her and thinking, holy shit, she, she really believes we're going to win. Alyssa also remembers that morning too. And the just pure confidence that she felt. I think it just kind of wet our appetite in terms of going into nationals and feeling really strong. Like, you know, we've got this. We can do it. Yes, here it is. Here's the fire that has started. And I remember then pushing off the wall and just smiling underwater and being like, here we go. So they were confident, but the odds were already stacked against Denison even before they showed up at nationals. How do nationals actually work? It's not as simple as March Madness where you just roll up with your full team. Uh, swimmers have to qualify for NCAAs individually. So, you know, during the season, you hit a certain time and a certain event, and then you qualify for nationals. So it works like the Olympics, right? Where it's just individual performance? Yes, but unlike Olympic swimming, there's actually a team title at the end. And you get points depending on where you finish in the race. So imagine a Denison swimmer wins an event and scores, I'm just going to making this up, 10 points for winning the event. Maybe another school has two swimmers in that same event who finish second and third. Now, maybe they score 17 combined points and they're actually ahead even though you won the race. Wait, so, okay. So every swimmer can earn points for the team. So no matter where you place can affect the team outcome, correct? Exactly. And, and look, to explain it, here's Natalie Coughlin again. She was the top NCAA swimmer of this era when she was at Cal. And she actually really loved the team aspect of this event. When you go to an NCAA championship, every point matters. So if someone gets, you know, 16th, they, they're, they're eighth in the, the consolation final, that matters because that is one point that leads to the overall team score. So everyone's participating. Everyone is um, is, is contributing. So it, that's the beauty. Like That's the only time we get to experience what a team sport is like. So here's the rub. Kenyon qualified the maximum swimmers you can take to nationals. It's what they call a full squad. Denison did not. They'd actually have four less swimmers when they showed up. Coach Greg summed up the math. Kenyon has something like a dozen more chances or races to score points than Denison did. So it's just simple math. They have, they, they've got 54 opportunities to score points. We've got 42 opportunities. Quick disclaimer here, Gareth. Um, everyone I talk to remembers the numbers of qualifiers and swimmers a little bit differently. And the exact rosters are a little hard to come by online. Okay. It was 20 years ago whatever. Everyone that I talked to on both sides agrees Denison was at a disadvantage. And Swim Swim's Mel Stewart, well, here he is summing up that disadvantage. If you bring fewer swimmers, you're hurting. It's hard. It's just hard. Typically, you're, you're, the, the output of energy, especially at a conference meet or an, or an NC2A championship, is so high. After one day, you're mentally exhausted. 
And when you get into day two, you start to feel numb when you swim. So having a larger team is a, is a big advantage. Nationals is three days long, and that year it was in Buffalo. It snowed. There was nothing to do except sit in your hotel and think about the competition. Kenyon had already beaten Dennison three times that year, and now Dennison was at a disadvantage. Everyone had to be at their best. But for Amy, the senior, that was nothing new. That was our whole thing was being a team and and getting the best out of every single person. We had to get the most out of every single person there, and that's what we focused on the whole season. But here's something no one saw coming. As soon as Nationals started, something crazy happened. Dennison didn't just start hot. They were on fire. They won the 200 free relay. Amy and Katie Sprague both went top four in the 200 IM. In the 53, they had four swimmers in the top 10. And sophomore Tam Riccardi, she won the 500 free with Kelly winning the consolation heat. Katie Sprague said the winning was contagious all over. Kelly just dropped five seconds in her 500 free. Well, well, why can't I do that? You know, so then Tamara gets up in the finals and she wins. It was like every time a Denison swimmer got up to the block, something was going to happen. And it did. To close day one, Denison's 400 medley relay team didn't just win. They shattered the Division Three national record by four seconds. Kate Flickema-Holland, she said the fast start was just utterly mind-blowing. Holy cow. That whole meet from the beginning, we all swam so fast out of our minds. I mean, just we were putting up times that we didn't even think were possible. The previous year, the ladies of Kenyon had beaten Denison at Nationals by 200 points. And after day one, Big Red, they were up by 33. Coach Greg had a simple message at the start of the second day. No scoreboard watching. I, I remember Greg telling us not to look at the scoreboard, and I know everybody was, and I probably was too, but in my memory, I wasn't. That's Molly Parrish Zook, and no one was swimming better than her. On day two, she set a national record in the 100 fly on her way to winning D3 Swimmer of the Year. And she was just as locked in on what her teammates were doing. It was cool. Like, you would get out of your event and you just had a really great race and you know the next person would be swimming and they knocked it out of the park too and so it was just amazing look it was number crunching time wins were great but the more swimmers that scored the more they could keep pace with Kenyon. aaron dominated the 200 free and kate also nabbed six in the same race a sophomore leah favret she climbed all the way to number two in the 100 back Amy went third in the 400 IM, and senior Stephanie Bush, a transfer that year, also grabbed seventh. Alyssa won the 100 breaststroke, and Katie Sprague nabbed fifth, with sophomore Deb Jensen getting her first ever top 16 finish. It was tit for tat, according to Katie. Okay, Kenyon, you're going to get a couple points, and then we're going to get more. Dennison just looked the part of a champion, even if it was accidental at times. Take Alyssa. Kelly said she would drink from her water bottle and spit it out in her competitor's lane. But Alyssa remembers it a little differently. Before my race, my mouth would get so dry because I'd be so nervous. And I'd like take a swig of my water bottle and spit it out just to get my mouth wet. But I didn't want to drink the water and like feel like I was going to throw up while I was swimming. So someday somebody being like, Alyssa, you look so tough when you do that. It's just, and I'm like, I'm doing it because I'm so nervous. <laughs> like It's just like my image was totally different than how I felt inside. Day two ended with one of the longest events of the meet, the 800 free relay. Garrett, does that sound familiar to you at all? Dude, I have two kids. I have cancer. My long-term memory is about five minutes. Remember the shower? Does that ring a bell? Oh, the pep talk in the shower, right. That's the relay that Amy, two years earlier, had cornered Kelly about and said, I want you on this team I want you to help me win a national title. We can do it. Kind of let Kelly know that like, if she wanted it, it was hers for the taking. Kelly made that relay alongside Amy, Kate, and Aaron. They didn't just win. They set a new national record. And Kelly said the momentum was undeniable, even if you didn't want to acknowledge it. It snowballed throughout the couple of days. You didn't really want to like say it out loud because you didn't want to jinx it. After day two, Dennison's lead over Kenyon was now 67 points. On the Kenyon side, Abby Brethauer said she started to wonder if the 17-year streak was actually in jeopardy. 
And so I think after day one, we were like, okay, this is fine. Like they had a great day. We'll build into the meat. We get better as it goes. Like it's, it's okay. We're okay. And I think after day two is when we were like, this maybe isn't the meat we thought it was going to be. Let's start the third day in the morning, like the way early morning. Coach Greg could not sleep. And I wasn't sleeping well, so I got up and took a walk through the streets of Buffalo, 2.30 in the morning. Yeah, it was Buffalo, and it was snowing. There was nowhere to go. And I remember there was a, an Episcopal church right across the street from the hotel that we were staying in. And I actually, I w- actually went in and sat in the sanctuary, and I'm like, yeah, we're right there. This could happen. Prayers or no, Kenyon roared back. The depth of their team chipped away at the Denison lead. But Big Red had just enough to keep pace. Tam Riccardi won the 1650 by 15 full seconds. And Molly, Kate, and Aaron all scored for Denison in the 100 free, an event Aaron won. For her, it started to feel real. The closer we got to the end of the meet, the more it was like, can we do this? Are we doing this? Oh my gosh, we're doing this. Yes, this is happening. And like it, but it just kept feeding into the, the excitement and the energy. But it would all come down to one final race, the 400 free relay. Dennison was up, but they could still lose the national championship if they got disqualified from the event, which sounds like it's hard to do, but a false start, an illegal turn, anything that goes wrong, there goes your title. One of the biggest upsets in NCAA history coming down to four women. Aaron was the final swimmer. I was the anchor on that 400 free relay, and so I was the last swimmer in the pool for our team. You just need to finish legally, so don't be a hero on the exchanges. Just let's just finish this relay legally. And Greg may have even joked, like, wave at your teammate before you leave. In they went, one by one. Molly. Kate. Amy. And finally, Aaron. And it was over. The race, the meet, the 17-year streak. Amy can still feel it to this day. I mean, I can feel it now, 20 years later. I can feel the intensity of the relief that the hard work wasn't for naught. Here's Katie Sprague. Instead of remembering the race, she remembers this moment right before it. Before every relay, there's like a warm down period or a warm up period. And my dad came over and, and he said, hey, I'll cry again. He goes, do you remember why you came here? And I said, yeah, I came here to do what's going to happen right now. And he was like, you did it. You did it. While Dennison was celebrating, over on the Kenyan side, Abby Bretthauer describes the final moments of their streak. Well, just listen to how she says it. This isn't happening the way it should happen. It was also like, but we're Kenyan. Of course, we're going to figure it out. Like someone's someone's going to do something. Someone's going to light it up. Someone's going to change the momentum. And we're going to, it's not going to, it's not going to be this way. I think it was really like watching it that we were like, uh oh, so this is happening. Kind of like in Bridesmaids where she's walking across the street and she's like, it's happening, it's happening. It was kind of like that kind of feeling. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. It happened. They had dominated D3 swimming for 17 straight years. And when it was over, they did what they did that entire season. They came over to the Denison swimmers and they gave them cough drops. It was their way to say, hey, great swim. We did not deserve to win that meet, and Denison did, hands down. Like, they were so impressive, and so we wanted to recognize that. And so I think that was, like, our way of acknowledging, like, what you guys did was so impressive. And we might not be able to say those words to you because it hurts so badly, but we can do this. Like, we can do this thing, and we can acknowledge it in this way. And, like, I'm I'm still, I'm getting choked up talking about it because I remember standing there watching them go, what, like, get the trophy. I was, like trying so hard not to cry because it was so hard to see someone else get what you wanted. But also it was so amazing to see these people that you totally respect as teammates and like competitors 
like you saw their program get so much stronger over the time and like build into this and so you like from a pure like just like athletic standpoint you're like this is amazing and from like the competitor standpoint you're like this is literally so hard kelly and aaron both remember the mutual respect from all of the athletes they came over and congratulated us like they were 100 percent pros yeah it felt like they kind of accepted that we had just done something that a lot of people never thought would happen. As for Abby, she's coaching the next generation of D3 athletes at Tufts. She still hasn't forgotten that rivalry with Denison, and she still doesn't wear red. You will still to this day not catch me in red. I will not wear it, uh, you know. And <laughs> Okay, I know Kenyon is set up to be the arch rival, the nemesis here, but there is a lot to like about that team. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more to them than that. Plus, in the end, Abby got hers. Interesting. Where are you going with this? So the next year, Abby came back to nationals. She lined up against some of these same Denison swimmers, and she helped start a brand new NCAA title streak. Three more in a row for the Kenyan ladies of swimming. So Kelly was at that 2002 meet, too. It was actually her last. And she said something about it that's stuck with me. It is super hard to kind of like turn that off. I mean, swimming my last race and knowing that was the end was devastating in a way. Like it was like kind of coping with the death of yourself, your life, whatever. But it was also like, okay, this is a natural end to things. And I get to go out and, and have a life that like I didn't have before. It's hard to turn that off. That got my attention because it reminds me of an exchange I had with Natalie Coughlin. She's retired from swimming now. She's poured herself into food and wine. She, she runs Guderian Wines, uh, her wine collection, and she's got a cookbook called Cook to Thrive. She actually came on this very podcast a couple of years ago, and, and I talked to her about it. Thing is, she's never stopped that swimming mindset, even though she doesn't do it anymore. Her time swimming informs everything about who she is today. Number one, she's still super competitive. Yeah, no, it's very, very difficult. Like I, I, I've joked about this, but I think it's true that I, I was competitive out of the womb, and I, 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 it was just something innate in me that I just wanted to be the best at everything I did. And two, she said she carries that focus that she had in the pool into everything she does. From swimming, I have become pretty introspective. You know, when I go into any of these various adventures, I have, you know, a bit of a leap of faith a lot of times. Uh, but knowing that I have the mental strength to handle what comes my way, but also be flexible with, you know, adversity. No one in sports ever turns it off. Not really. When I talked to Rowdy Gaines, he remembers working with a former Kenyan swimmer turned broadcaster who would talk quite openly about what the streak meant even years later. He used to say that it was a, just an incredible amount of pride that you felt to be a part of something that historic. And Rowdy said the 01 upset, it's going to live on just as long. I think Denison can do the same in that year 18, you know, when they finally broke that streak. Those athletes that were a part of that team. Trust me, they'll be talking about that until they're old and gray. The streak is dead. Long live the streak. Actually, I should say streaks, plural. The Kenyan men, well, they eventually got to 31 in a row until their run was ended by, you know, Denison, naturally. Coach Greg now has six national titles to his name, but he says that first one is the one that really stays with him. As they say, you never forget your first love. Well, you never forget your first national championship. It always impacts you the most. The emotion associated with that women's national title, especially given how far they had come in that year, um, just was completely overwhelming. I've met Greg once or twice over the years. Kelly took me to watch Denison swim. And I always feel bad every time we see him because he's, he's, you know, he's in a meet. He's busy on deck or he's hustling around the pool. But here I finally had him in a quiet moment. And I said, hey, coach, what do you want to say to your 01 team? I think first and foremost, I just want to communicate to them how much I care about them and how much I love them. That four-year window is, is really critical for me, but the more important window of time is the 40-year window and, and how they take that four-year window and, and grow with it. 
As for the Denison swimmers, they've moved on too. But swimming stays with them. They don't sweat chlorine anymore, but Erin Stanley Blum, well, she summed it up nicely. You know, I never thought I would say, but, you know, sometimes you walk into, like, a hotel and you smell the hotel pool and it's kind of like, oh, I'm home. Here's Katie Sprague. It is hard for people to understand, you know, and sometimes I think I get frustrated. Like, I want to say, no, no, like, yes, we're Division Three, but you have no idea what we did. And Kelly, she's fully aware of how this experience and the people she met, how it changed her life. I am tremendously proud and grateful and I am 100% aware of like all the ways it's given to me in my life. Near the end of this project we were eating dinner with our two daughters talking about that season and and Kelly said we always said if you can get through October and I jumped in and we both at the same time said that you can get through anything and we laughed and honestly for the first time I actually understood an old swimming joke and look not every athlete gets a 30 for 30 especially D3 athletes. But they all have this amazing story. It's just, it's right there. We just don't always make any effort to learn about it. I I know I didn't. And this podcast is 100% her story, not mine. I'm just glad of how much more I get to see of her now that I know it. When she's nervous but won't let me see it, maybe that's Alyssa spitting into her opponent's lane. When she won't let our daughters give up, Maybe that's Amy giving her a pep talk in the shower. The streak, the upset, the title, they're over, but they're not over. When our girls see one of mom's swim trophies, they deserve to know the whole story. That mom's an athlete. Mom's a champion. Mom got through October, so she can get through anything.